0: Welcome to Work of Fiction, the podcast that analyzes the fictional organizations you see in movies and TV. Today's episode, generational differences and purpose at work in clerks. Of
1: work of Fiction. From movies, and TV.
0: I'm Paula Sizek and today I'm joined by Nobel co-founder Bud Cadell.
2: In the spirit of clerks, whatever.
0: (laughs) And we have a new voice joining us today, our Senior Director of Organizational Design, Nick Parrish.
1: I wasn't even supposed to be here today.
0: A very nice, very appropriate. I can see everybody's already getting in the spirit of Clerks. We are members of Nobel, an organizational design firm that transforms company cultures. Every month, we take a break from helping real organizations change to discuss fictional leaders and organizations. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the operation of the quick stop grocery from Clerks, which was actually your request, Bud. So can you give us a little summary about Clerks and why in particular you wanted to discuss it?
2: Well, Clerks is all about a single workday for the characters of Dante, who runs the Quick Stop, and Randall, who is manning the video store next door. You also have some lovable drug dealers outside, and Jay and Silent Bob. I wanted to use this movie as a means to talk about how different generations view work, and I wanted to talk about negativity at work and how it can bond people together um, and generally I wanted to revisit a movie that I really liked back in the day and on rewatch mm, doesn't hold up so much.
0: Like I said, Clerks is probably one of the most iconic films about Gen X and their approach to work, their philosophy of life, uh, namely that they're all a bunch of just cynical slackers. In fact, the original review from Everett back when this first came out, claimed that Smith nails the obsessive verbal wrangling of smart, stalled 20-somethings who can't figure out how to get their ideas in motion. So was that an accurate generalization? Is this actually a documentary of Gen Xers in the workplace?
2: Well, it's definitely almost a documentary of Kevin Smith because he worked at that Quick Stop that was filmed at the actual Quick Stop in New Jersey where he worked, so... I'm sure he's bringing some cinema verite to that. I, I think it's also indicative of you know other movies of his time like Slacker, Slackers, and Reality Bites about a generation's perception about work. Now, obviously, when we talk, we've got to do the heavy caveats of whenever we talk about generations, it becomes really difficult because generations have a lot of diversity within them, and they tend to get homogenized in our in these kind of generational narratives, but. Having said that, I think terms like wage slave (laughs) became more popular in that generation talking about work. I think there's a Douglas Copeland who wrote Generation X, the book, uh, has a great quote. Um, When someone tells you they've just bought a house, they might as well tell you they no longer have a personality. You can immediately assume so many things that they're locked into jobs they hate. That they're broke, that they spend every night watching videos, that they're 15 pounds overweight, that they no longer listen to new ideas. It's profoundly depressing. So I think there's a certain zeitgeist of that generation that this movie does capture.
0: I like how you could use most of those terms to describe a millennial, but we don't even have the money to buy a house. So progress has been made.
2: Well, Nick just bought a house.
0: Well, that's <laughs> Congratulations, true. Nick. That's, that's true.
2: Hopefully that quote didn't offend you in any way. No, I think Douglas Copeland has uh,
1: proven himself to be right on, on one thing, at least, and that is the coining of the Generation X phrase. But um, I mean, it, it, it feels sometimes like Gen X was the last truly anti-corporate generation who really had a stance on selling out. I mean, insofar as all these are just sort of marketing constructs when we talk about these generations, right? Um, but, you know... Th- there, there were, there was this sort of anti-corporate sense that that many, many people in that in that era felt that it felt like Randall um, and Dante really embodied. Um, the other thing that that was interesting about that was that their friends aren't stunted, um, and the people that they interact with aren't necessarily stunted. I mean, saving perhaps the hockey team, the other hockey players that are playing midday hockey on the roof, but there are plenty of other peers or would-be peers that are sort of that come by and try to get these guys to get their act together. It's
0: important to me, Dante. You have so much potential that's going to waste in this pit. I wish you'd go back to school.
2: Jesus, will you stop it? You're making my head hurt. Oh, shit, why are you getting up?
0: I'm like you. I have a class in 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I really think about there's like three different perceptions about work all happening in the same movie. You've got Dante, who isn't really engaged to the, the company itself, but he is very conscientious He shows like some behavior of organizational citizenship. He does show up when he's called. He does make the sign. He didn't have to make the sign. He like literally got out the shoe polish and created the sign. I assure you we're open. Then you've got uh, Randall, who is the exact opposite in so many different ways. I mean, he he exhibits so many counterproductive work behaviors, absenteeism, loafing. And then you've got the entrepreneurs, Jay and Silent Bob. Who seem quite engaged with their work.
0: And by it entrepreneurs, seemed... to clarify, we do mean drug dealers who just hang out on the corner.
2: Right. Yeah, but right. every time every
1: time we see them, James, Island Bob are earnest and motivated and have uh, a, a, a will to win, really, uh, to, to service their customers and to uh, achieve uh, what they want and get out what they want in of life. Noise, noise, noise. Smoking weed, smoking weed. Doing coke, drinking beers. Packer, I good man. Time to kick back, drink
2: your and smoke your weed. Done poisoning the youth for today, huh? Hell's yes, whatever that means. And now. they work to live; they don't live to work, which I think is one of the, also a phrase from Gen X that we talked about a lot. Now I dug into a lot of generational studies or different opinions about this generation, and it is interesting to look at Generation X through the and we're all millennials, so we're going to be <laughs> like talking about other generations. Let's just. Crap on boomers for a little while. Let's crap on Generation X. Let's then talk really well of ourselves, and then look at Gen Z like they're aliens. But the the thing that's interesting to think about Gen X is like they also come of age and come into the workplace, being the first generation of latchkey kids, having seen increasing divorce rates among their parents. You know, for the first time in the U.S. they look at their parents who had relatively stable employment, but they also see their parents who had that failed sort of New Left movement and the hippie movement, and they pick up a bit of that. And they want to they they look at sort of the nine to five job, and what they don't see for themselves is the ability to articulate who they are, to pursue a, you know a greater sense of purpose, right? And I think Nick, that goes to exactly what you talked about about like sellout. Uh, being afraid of being a sellout, calling out, calling out sellouts—that's really what they're reacting to. That ability to define who they are for themselves.
1: I loved the just unbridled cynicism around all people with straight jobs, um, and mm-hmm. by straight job, I mean something that is not the wage slavery sort of. Uh, unskilled kind of customer service type work that Dante and uh, Randall participate in. You know the the high school guidance counselor who's who's looking at eggs and trying to find the perfect <laughs> eggs, um, and you know talks about how no one takes pride, pr- no one has any pride anymore, or the the person that talks about. Um, That's why I manually masturbate caged animals for artificial insemination. I mean, clearly Kevin Kevin Smith has such like a. Uh, just in in, in like char char broiled cynicism uh, around, around normal, normal jobs uh, that it's just, you know, wonderful to experience that unbridled cynicism.
2: Yeah. What I, what I think is really interesting though, is that so Gen X didn't have, or felt like members of the generation, I'm going to stop myself from over labeling everyone, but they had, you know, groups had this feeling of, I don't want that, That suit. I don't want that job because I want to be able to explore myself. I want to be able to identify and express myself. And then millennials like invent, with help from Generation X, influencer culture, which in many ways, the idea of like being a personal brand is fulfilling uh, that dream and that reality, but in such a personally to me, such a twisted way.
0: Well, I think it's really interesting because. I do think millennials were very much brought up with this idea of, you know, if you find the job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Go find your passion. Go find something that's going to make a difference. So we were very much raised with the opposite of that Gen X mentality, right? It, it really was about um, what are you going to do? Your career is going to be personally and professionally fulfilling. And now that we're in our, you know, late, 30s all the way down to like mid 20s. I do think that has changed a little bit. So I don't want to say who's right, but what what has changed over the last? How did we get from Gen X's you know selling out to millennials find your passion to I don't even know where are we now?
1: I mean, I, th- I think that there's a wonderful um, uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, obviously, and and you know myriad macroeconomic and microeconomic and societal, but. I think it's important to me to talk about like service culture and customer service culture uh, and how uh, sort of service with a smile and that kind of like chirpy robotic uh, culture has been incentivized through ratings and through uh, like complaining. Like we have so many ways to complain now and issue, you know, demotions to people. Because, you know, like Brad at the Acai Hut, like really skimped on the coconut shavings, like two stars. <laughs> I know Brad's
2: like going to get
1: talked to, right? Whereas, you know, Randall and, and Dante, well, Randall especially, stood for this not giving a shit, like... You'd feel a hell of a lot better if you just rip into the occasional customer. Whereas, you know, now we're in this incredibly like, uh, customers is, is always right, and I also have to deliver that with a, with a smile sort of situation. So, for for people in service industries, there's probably like a a state of denial that they've had to embrace to cope with this, to cope with the fact that they can't be negative or or frown or, you know, be surly at work. And there are probably all sorts of little subversions that you see where people write funny names or misspell names on Starbucks cups or, you know, all these sort of tiny subversions that can't quite be caught out or, you know, given that two-star review, but at the same time are a way of you know, getting a little bit of agency back in your life.
2: Yeah. I think about, you know, the, the difference between the quick stop and then Zappos about a few years back, the idea of those customer facing jobs, needing, needing a culture designed around it uh, that always feels like a party that starts every day with a celebration that is all about positive affect um, so that you can meet customers in that way that that's what i think of nick when you when you start to compare then and now and i also like when randall uh confront or spits in the face of the customer what the fuck you do that for two reasons one i hate it when people can't shut up about the stupid tabloid headlines oh jeez. and two to prove a point title does not dictate behavior what if title dictated my behavior as a clerk serving the public i won't be allowed to spit water at that guy but I did. So my point is that people dictate their own behavior. I thought was a really interesting, like kind of in a, is like a, as a thesis question for the entire movie about work um, or how it relates to work. Um, Randall was trying to prove that people dictate their own behavior and that the title you have at your job, the job itself shouldn't dictate your behavior. It feels like, you know, ego and, and, and identity happening and wrestling with work at the same time. Sure, and the
1: name of the movie is Clerks, right? The title of the movie does not dictate that we're watching a movie about bureaucratic functionaries that perform their tasks routinely and you know to a, to a certain standard. Uh, they go completely off the rails the entire time.
2: Yeah. Now, now I just want to see like a Star Trek, like Clerks, where everyone's just really good at their, well, really good at their job, and it's incredibly dull. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that would be a great. Wow.
0: Yeah, sounds like me. sounds like a great series. Sign sign me up. <laughs> One thing I always want to make sure we address when we're talking about Gen X versus boomers versus Gen Y versus millennials, whatever you want to call them, is are we really seeing actual generational differences, right? Is this, is this classic to this particular uh, cohort of individuals who are born between such and such a date? Or are these life stage differences, right? Anyone who's in their 20s is going to have different demands, different expectations than somebody who's in their forties, someone who's in their sixties. And that individual person is going to evolve over time. So where, where do we fall on that?
2: We do keep replaying this shock of every new generation as if they're alien creatures. Uh, you know, I think about when everyone would talk about millennials don't want cars, they don't want to buy homes. Um, they don't believe in ownership. It's like, well, actually, they're kind of broke, and it's hard to break into the job market. They don't have a lot of purchasing power, and and now we're suddenly seeing, especially as co- where we are in COVID right now in April twenty twenty one, housing sales are booming, <laughs> right? Like, I, I do think it, a lot of it comes down to age, but at the same time, you cannot, you can't not be affected by what's happening in broader culture, what's happening like in economics. So it's, it feels like a, it's a muddled mess, but I wish we'd stop playing this game of, oh my God, here comes this new generation. They're such foreign creatures.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I, I agree, but I think that that's a construct that like is sort of passed down. Um, I, I was really interested in clerks that at no point did they say, boy, I really need this job because I need the money because I need to do something to survive. Um mm-hmm. I, there's doesn't seem to be, be a huge economic motivation for them to continue to have these jobs. I, in the mid-90s, and the early 90s, we were in this sort of period of irrational exuberance and the economy was going great guns. And I get the sense that there was not the fear that people feel now having weathered two major economic crises about having a job and, and having to buy their health insurance. You know, like we don't hear those guys worry about health insurance. We don't hear a lot of things. And I would assume that they are... Just sort of disaffected and, and and I don't know what part of the jurors this was filmed in or Kevin Smith came from, but I, I get the sense this was not like a subsistence uh, situation for 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 our friends. Uh, Paula, I'd imagine is is uh, doing a little bit of background research on was it like Maywood Park or somewhere in New Jersey? Um, it,
0: it was filmed in Leonardo. The quick stop is still there. Uh, let me see I don't know exactly where Leonardo is. Um, oh, it's it's basically just outside of New York, it's, so it's northern northern New Jersey, Bergen County. I don't think it's Bergen; it's Monmouth. We
2: Monmouth. <laughs> we need like a Jersey geographer to like tell us. Welcome the to the of Google that. Maps edition of Work of Fiction, Nick. I think what you said really matters, and I heard psychologists talk about this weeks ago. So I can't remember who exactly it was, but they were talking about the fact that a lot of people in Generation X. We're rebelling against the safety and comfort that they grew up in. We're rebelling that they didn't get to take a, you know, they didn't have a huge risk or challenge in their life. God, now I'm thinking about Fight Club. That's exactly what the, I was thinking. And the, and the monologue there too of you know, not having that opportunity in your life to like fight in a war or, or you know, put your life at risk. For the middle children of history, man. No purpose, a place. We have no great war. No Great Depression.
1: Yeah, I, I I, mean, these, these, the characters were meant to be in the really early 20s, right? 21, 22, a couple years out of high school, um, friends going to college. I think that that's a profoundly alienating time if you're not in in the same swim lanes as the people that you spent so much of your cohort with or your, your life growing up with. Um, and I think that that is profoundly alienating. Um, and, you know, Bet, Bud, you're probably right. They probably did at some point kind of want to do something different, uh, and then they found themselves caught in that, and they found themselves unable to, uh, you know, take a decisive move in either direction, which I think is the, you know, the culminating conversation that they have.
2: You know, that guy Jay's got it right, man. He has no delusions about what he does. Us, we like to make ourselves seem so much more important than the people that come in here to buy a paper or, God forbid, cigarettes. We look down on them as if we're so advanced. Well, if we're so fucking advanced, what are we doing
1: working here? Um, you know, it's sort of bemoaning these customers when we're the ones that are putting ourselves in this situation. They don't seem to understand how to... R- Randall seems a- adequate at expressing his feelings, but he doesn't seem to know what to do about it. Uh, he doesn't yeah. seem to know how to change.
2: Well, that's the cost of cynicism, right? Especially in a workplace, is that it can become comfortable. Uh, another reason I wanted to talk about this film is just the... the the phenomenon of bonding with people at work over negativity, which they're both quite good at. They've really developed a bond together over complaining and griping about their work and their jobs. Um, But it also keeps you really comfortable. You're not building anything new. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you that cynicism is a, is a moral reaction to, you know, the experiences they're having. It's easy to lament cynics and to vilify them, but it's a, it's a pretty rational response, but it can be quicksand. It can be something that you get stuck into and really hard to break out of. I just defined quicksand. There we go.
1: And
0: I think that's a really good point because to some extent, Dante actually is totally unwilling to break out of it. Randall's the one who's calling on, him on it and saying, you complain about this all the time, but you never do anything different. Uh, yeah, there's
1: there are little echoes of sort of... Um vladimir and estragon and waiting for godot where they're sort of perpetually waiting for customers to come into the mm. come, come into the quick stop but unable to actually go down the road that might be a little bit of a parallel too far but. i
0: i feel like that's probably the first time in history that anybody has actually compared clerks or any work by kevin smith to like a classic of postmodern uh playwriting but we've done it we've done it on this podcast oh so. i'm sure it's they right will by kevin
1: smith I'm sure there are PhDs out there that have, that have gazed into that navel.
0: Dante and Randall are actually perfect examples of disengaged employees. What is disengagement? It, fancy term, you'll hear it a lot if you work in organizational design. But what does it actually mean? What does it look like? And why should leaders care?
2: What I, what I think about is interesting about that question. So when I was watching Clerks Again... I was thinking about dante and disengagement and i was thinking about the fact that dante still has an internal work ethic right and i was reminding myself what's the difference how do you parse work ethic versus engagement and engagement really is a measure of your commitment to the organization right it really is about that relationship to the company while dante has an internal work ethic he does show up for work even though it's his day off he does go the extra mile. He does still care, even when he closes the quick stop. He really cares. Like he had the hockey game on the roof so he could see if people were coming. Um, he, but that is not engagement. That is someone who has an internal idea about the value of work, about their role and responsibility, but they do not have an engagement to the workplace itself.
1: I think the uh, when I thought about disengagement and Dante, I thought about the role that his boss plays. Um, you know, yeah. water flows downhill, and certainly people tend to uh, mirror the behaviors that they see from the top, right? If if a leader is showing bad behavior, oftentimes the other people in the organization will display similar sorts of bad behavior. I mean, the, the, the boss basically hoodwinked him into coming in on his day off, lied to him that he would be in by noon, and then set him up for even – further failure when he's probably gone in Vermont for several days. So who else is going to run the quick stop the next day? I mean, we could have, the clerks too could have been the entire, just the next day of of the shop where the owner is still this absentee owner. Um, to say nothing of the owner of the video store that never even, we never even hear anything about, about the owner of the video store. So, you know, the people who are big are responsible to these businesses, um, you know, are only absent or negative in in the eyes of both of the, the title characters
0: how does this impact absenteeism I mean after all as as you pointed out Nick we hear repeatedly from Dante that I'm not even supposed to be here today so what is the connection is there a connection between absenteeism and disengagement
1: that's a really uh, that's a really good question I think that uh, disengagement probably breeds absenteeism and then they get caught up in one of those cartoon like cartoon cycles of a cat and a dog fighting where there's a lot of dust and like stars kind of coming out. Um, this sort of circular construction. I mean, I, I love that Friday and clerks came out within it, within about a year of each other. And that was another movie where, you know, Craig gets fired on his day off and, and a lot of the running gags in that movie about how, how do you get fired on your day off? I think the fact that these guys realize that, that they're ultimately replaceable and, and, only really make meaning in their work when they're negative with the customers, uh, not necessarily when they're finding solutions. Goes a long way to breed that that absenteeism and that disengagement.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a, it's usually classified as counterproductive work behavior, um, and it, it's Randall. I, Randall is the like the archetype for what's called CWBs it's everything from absenteeism, loafing, incivility, lateness, sabotage, like sabotage, like outright sabotage, which he does quite often. Um, one of the things when I was uh, looking this back up was to note in the research that that age is an important factor. Like typically older employees exhibit counterproductive work behaviors far less um, versus younger employees. um <laughs> (laughs) Where in where quote insubordination rules, and that like I think Nick, like you nailed it. I think it comes from the top as well, right? I have a uh, a dark theory, which is the quick stop and the video rental stores are just like uh, front businesses for the major drug pin that actually get Jay and Silent Bob to actually deal the drugs, right, and give them a venue to distribute. And so they don't want those businesses to be that successful. They don't want enough attention around them. They they can be poorly run. Uh, welcome to my film theory YouTube oh, I, uh, if o-
1: channel. I, if, if only Kevin Smith's creation was funded like the MCU, we would be seeing that uh, miniseries <laughs> on Apple TV right now. Yeah.
0: I actually like that. I think it makes it—it's the dark and gritty reboot, right? Like it's—it's it's more interesting. It adds more layers to it. But
1: dark and gritty, as opposed to the lightness and uh, and and brightness of Clark's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Uh Nick, I actually want to go to a point that you made, which is about the interactions with the customers, right? Part of why Dante and Randall are uh so so upset is because they have to just deal with humanity, right? Like they're they're on the front line uh working with people. If you are a manager of frontline or if you are on the front line, if you're dealing with frustrating customers yourselves. How do you self-regulate, right? How do you keep, how do you perform emotional labor and keep your attitude upbeat when you know that you're going to be rated on one of those apps? Um, Somebody is going to give you a two-star review for the Acai Hut. How How do you approach this?
2: Retail workers are frontline employees. One thing that I think is important to recognize and the reason why those jobs often feel so frustrating is because we are throwing human beings often at Bad organizational design and structure issues, right? Like when the service of a company starts to have a lot of friction or feels broken for an end customer, it's likely because of the org chart. It's likely because of bad incentive structures internally, and then we throw customer service reps in front of in front of those customers um, to try to mitigate the problem. And so, of course, like you know, if one thing, one obvious thing that you can do. If you want to make those jobs, you know, less painful is to really look at the customer experience and the internal design of the organization to make sure that those line up and look for points of friction um, that you are, you know, dumping on frontline workers to have to confront. Um, And they usually have no power to fix
1: well, I think that that's a multi-billion dollar question uh, because I think that the sort of papering over of human emotions through, you know, the, getting a, a blue star if you smiled three times on the, you know, the facial recognition camera that's monitoring your every move today is not working and will not be a long-term like human successful solution. I think that there's certainly like the the realness of, of recognizing that that not everyone has the best day every day and that being yourself, if yourself is glum and sometimes not always feeling it, um, is okay. I think there's something also to be said about like dealing to, with these things in an honest way. Um, and you know, I, I wondered what it, I wondered what it would be like if 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 Dante or Randall were able to phrase their their work situations in a different way, not that like, I have to do this thing that I hate which is interact with these terrible customers. But like, I choose to come to work every day because I want what? Like, what do they want? Do they want, you know, a sense of meaning in terms of, you know, being united against the world? Um, do they want uh, Do they want the money? Um, do they want stable employment? Like, why do they choose to do this work every day? Um, I think that's kind of meaningful. But I think that there's certain, like, in, in American culture... True freedom is the freedom to be disliked, and I think that Randall and uh, Dante exhibit that in not just their you know customer service attitudes, but in Dante's unwillingness to choose a romantic partner to like make a put a stake in the ground as to which of these females that he's willing to pursue um, up until the very end. So I, I think that they've they've both sort of made their beds and 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 they don't give themselves a chance to to go try any others.
0: I don't think, just for the record, that either Dante or Randall make their bets. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> do they know what they want? Right? You're saying, what gives them purpose? Why are they showing up? Is it is it money? Is it freedom? It's certainly not the opportunity to work with people. So do, do you think they know what they want? Or is that part of the quote-unquote Gen X aff- affect right? well, of whatever, I don't. I don't know what I want?
1: That's I think it's just the rebel streak. I think that that's the like, what are you rebelling against? What do you got like in a a new form, which is the form of the part time employee at a convenience store or video store? Um, You know, I don't think they know what they want, which is why it would be funny if, you know, clerks, if, if the quick stop was bought out by a corporate overlord and they put like a big mission statement on the wall of the break room that was fashioned by expensive consultants and, uh, and, you know, read out to all the other stakeholders in the key senior leadership team and now had to be sort of emblazoned on, uh, on the break room. Um, You know, that's not going to motivate these guys. They want to rebel against whatever that is that's coming down. And I think that's just perpetual in their lives.
2: I think it's something that's really interesting about that. And just if we talk about generations is, (sighs) there was, there was this, this rule set that existed um, for the generation before the boomers, um, obey authority, fit in, um, that the boomers really fought against and it really was the new left movement or the hippie movement in the 60s. And I wonder more and more as I was thinking about this today, whether what we're kind of seeing at work is the hippie movement at work uh, in the last like 20 or 30 years, which is like, those, those rules still exist at work and work has become more and more of the central focus of our lives, uh, unfortunately, in my opinion. And, you know, we're still given that rule set of obey authority, fit in, um, don't, don't display emotions that would challenge other people. And we see this rising movement of people who are flattening hierarchies, who want to be their full selves at work or some version of that. And I just thought in my head, like, this is the hippie movement. <laughs> this is what it is. And there's, like, in, like, the hippie movement, there's, like, horribly failed experiments. <laughs> there is, a, you know, a general feeling, though, um, that we can build better. Uh, there will be some wins as well. It's just, I wonder if if really what we're seeing is just that same phenomenon just echoed at work, you know, 40 years later, 50 years later.
0: Free love at work, man. Smoke. I
2: mean, some of the workplaces we <laughs> we've been to, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah. Jimmy John's
1: promises free smells, and I'm sure that their, their counter people get asked about all, all that sort of thing all the time. Um, I mean, I, I, I think you have a point, Bud, which is that people are beginning to take back or or try to take back some of the norms that have been mandated by the people in charge for a long time, um, which obviously, as we all know, was the role of the organized labor mu- movement for many, many years. But I, 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 I'm a sort of stuck with the fact that, that Randall and Dante w- would have never been on board with a lot of the things that, that folks have to do to get along in their jobs these days. And as such, they would actually, I think, be more emotionally resilient because they would see less of themselves in their jobs. Mm-hmm. Even though these guys don't know where they're going, they sure as hell don't know that that's going to be defined by their career at the quick stop or the video store. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they're never going to look for that kind of meaning in work. Um, they have to be there. They know that. And they have to put up with people. They know that, but they're never going to look for anything extra, Uh, which I think to me is, 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 is part of the feature that, that Gen X brought brought to work, which is like a little bit of healthy disdain for some of the, like, we are a family or like, we'll take care of each other, kind of happy horseshit that a lot of folks really like uh, tread on.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think this is a good opportunity to talk about the the recent op-ed that was in the New York times that was written by the former Google employee. Um, I think the title of it was help me out here. um, I'll never love a job again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. After Google, I'll never love a job again.
2: And it was about her experience You know, coming into Google, which is a place that took care of all of your needs, that wanted to be that second home for you, that wanted to create a family. You like almost the company town, Paul. I know you're obsessed with that topic as well. And then she was harassed at work. In her perspective, it was it was handled incredibly poorly. Her her harasser was still seated next to her. And it really and then when it came to time for performance reviews, it was really hard for her to understand why she, why she was getting lower marks or why they wouldn't compete with another job offer that she got. And it felt like, wait, but this was my family. This was my whole identity. I gave so much to this organization. I loved it. Why isn't it loving me back? And it was this harsh wake up call for her personally, not to love a job again. And and think the op-ed ends with her talking about her friends, asking her what is she, what she thinks of her new job. And she's like, eh, it's work. Um, which I think is a very Gen X like uh, belief about work, and I agree, Nick, that perhaps we've gone too far in culture in many ways. Thinking about your identity is your work, your sense of value has to be derived from your work, um, and that companies are going to fulfill those needs. I, I, you know, I was looking into research for Gen Z, and they really crave um, a, per- a sense of purpose at work, but also they want their employers. To focus on their well-being, which is everything from physical, mental, to also uh, community well-being is, a, is the way that Gallup, uh, who measures that, uh, defines it. And I read that, and maybe I'm just a grizzled early millennial now, but I was like, oh, that feels like such a trap. It's a trap! To expect work to do those things and to rely on work to do those things. Um, if not only for, you know, when you leave that job, you lose your whole social network in a lot of ways. Um, especially with how much people work today and like just being able to commit your whole identity to that workplace, knowing that in your career you're going to work 20, 30 jobs, um, just seems like you're really setting yourself up to fail.
0: So this is where I come back to the idea of, is this a generational difference or is this a life stage difference? Because I do feel like if you'd asked that same question of the millennials 10 to 15 years ago, as they were just entering the workforce, I think you would see a lot of people saying like, "Oh, I want my job to supply meaning and I love being able to go out for happy hour. It's like it's a social event, right?" For for looking for that purpose in your in your work life. And now, I think that millennials are middle-aged, which is a horrifying thing for me to actually say, but it's it's also the truth. I think that they're getting more perspective, and they're starting to claw back and say, "Like, wait a minute, can't we just can't we just have it be a job, right? Like, I'll come in, I'll I'll put in my hours, I'll do the work, but then just leave leave me alone. I've got my own life outside of this." So I wonder, I wonder if this is something that Gen Z is experiencing now, and ten years from now, they're going to have a different perspective.
2: Maybe, but as Nick pointed out, Gen X kind of had it <laughs> when they started. In the workforce, right? Like they had that attitude, and maybe it was just born out of maybe it wasn't some deep wisdom. Maybe it was rebel without a, a clue, sort of attitudes or defining yourself only in opposition to things. But that does feel generational. It doesn't feel like Gen X showed up to to say, "I want to wear a suit and find myself at this job."
1: I mean, I, I I'm interested in thinking about what what life stage Randall and, and Dante would be in now and what their situations would be in now, given that, you know, Netflix has automated the video store and, and we're working towards automated convenience stores. I think working in a Wawa is probably a lot different than working in a Quick Stop was back in the day, um, you know, to name my Jersey convenience store brand of choice, which I think is more of a Southern Jersey thing. But, um, you know, I'd be interested in what these, what these folks are looking at, at, at in their 50s. Are they still rebels, and what does being a rebel mean at fifty? Um, like, how do how, how do their lives turn out? Um, I would reckon not 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 as well as some of their peers, uh, despite the fact that their peers were pretty odious uh, in the film.
0: But we actually know because Clerks has a sequel. It is it is Clerks two, and what we find in Clerks two is that actually they're doing exactly the same thing. Instead of changing their lives, Randall and Dante are now managers. At their respective stores that they once used to be clerks in. Uh, there's actually a really interesting video by a, a YouTuber that I really like, Patrick H. Willems, in which he's talking about how this actually is very similar to Kevin Smith's career, in that he started out with this little rebel film, right, Clerks? Then he tried doing something different. It was a failure. And so that's when he made Clerks too. And the, the takeaway there is, don't try new things. Just keep doing what you're doing. Stay in your lane. So I, I would actually say to you, you know, what what should you do if you find yourself stuck? Is it okay to just be the manager of the quick stop,
1: Paula? That's the most extremely uh, apropos, cynical take on uh, on how we live our lives. I love it. I'm going to give a counter take though, which is that uh, a lot, we tell the same story, but we get to get better and better at telling it and telling it in different, different ways, um, even though you know, Kevin Smith sort of tried to step out of the US universe and it didn't work out as well. He's still sort of been able to capture these moments. And I think even if people feel stuck, I think that they'll be able to tell the same story in different ways. Uh, if they can shake it up a little bit and and challenge themselves uh, to, to to change their scenarios or to at least uh, approach things in, with, a, with a sense of um, courage and a sense of uh, fearlessness about about what's on the other side of that.
2: That's such a good, upbeat take, Nick. I appreciate that. I I like. Do, what I, win questions... empl- do I
1: win employee of the week?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't do know I you didn't smile enough run. when do I was to... uh, surveilling you at your home. Do I get to park um, in the parking space?
0: Yes, you I... do, actually. You get to park in the parking spot at home.
2: Nice. I'll get the paint. I, what I think is, again, interesting, and I'll go back to this, and maybe I'm the only one who finds this fascinating, is this need for Generation X to to define themselves in their own identities and then millennials invent that and we get influencer culture. And I, one of the questions that, um, you asked Paul, I think was, uh, what would they be like now if they were part of this generation? I was like, Randall would be a YouTuber or a TikToker because hating things is a whole brand now. It's an industry. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I think, he would, he would rule uh, in his like video critiques or his video essays of, 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 of everything. And this is this is sort of what we've created. We've created a world of everyone's a brand. having an opinion about things seems somehow create commercial value. Uh, sorry, I'm, I know I'm coming across like the jaded uh, <laughs> the jaded person I am, but I do think that's also really interesting, but I think where that intersects with work. Right. Is this what Gen Z is looking for? Gen Z is looking for workplaces that continue to indulge that personal discovery, that personal, um, uh, you know, communication, you know, understanding yourself, finding yourself. Um, And that's what they were raised on. Of course, that's what they're looking for in a workplace. And they also I think, I you know, some crazy statistic about the percent of Gen Z who want to be influencers, I think, is more than 50 percent. Um, and so I think you you could see their career opportunities are either, do I work at this company or do I go start my own TikTok?
0: To your point about Bud creating videos, and Nick, also to your point about there's different ways you can tell stories and you can keep back coming back to the same story. Recently, Kevin Smith announced he's working on Clerks 3, which will be about Dante suffering a heart attack questioning what he's done with his life and creating a movie about his his life with Randall so they are going to do that they're going to create their own uh probably YouTube and TikTok they're going to create their own movie about their own lives and this was at least partially inspired by Smith's own heart attack back in 2018 so he's obviously also looking back at at his life's work and and trying to figure out what does this all mean what have I really contributed so I, I would turn this back to you right what purpose should we seek from work? What What should we really be hoping to get out of the 40 hours plus that we spend with our colleagues and with our customers?
2: I, I just do think that people at, at an individual level need to have a conversation with themselves about what is the role of work in your life. I think it should be varied. It should depend on your life stage. It should depend on what you want out of the next decade of your life, for example? Like, are you working a job so that you can save up so that you can do something else? Are you working a job because you're obsessed with the craft of it and you want to get better? Are you working a job um, so that you can move up and become a leader and help others grow and develop? I think, I just think, you know, like talking about generations, talking about the role of work in your life as a monolith, as something that we all have to ascribe to or not, I think, you know, like motivation at work, just to, to know and assume that there are many different perspectives and many different takes and many different reasons why people would be in, engaged or not and not hold all employees to a same standard or a same motivation.
1: Yeah, well said. I, I think, well. Uh, they should seek uh, the, what the purpose that they seek is entirely personal, and I think that 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 purpose can't be revealed until they are able to honestly assess their own needs and uh, look look and understand what they want out of life and 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 how they want to get it um, without using how other people are achieving or this the sort of artificial barriers or uh, judgments we put on ourselves to define that. Um, yeah. Who knows what it is? Uh, but I,
2: I'm confident that they can find it. I would just, you know, give a word of wisdom, which is, and I think I'm stealing this from either Oprah or Maya Angelou, which is don't love something that won't love you back, right? <laughs> and understand what an organization, especially a for-profit company is really going to be able to offer you in terms of longevity and commitment back um, and make a more sober. This is the grizzled millennial talking to Gen Z, uh, who who are looking for these things at work.
1: I think, and one one thing to add about that is, in the past, it used to be very frowned upon to switch jobs, and now that's sort of de rigueur. Is that we change jobs more frequently, um, and I think that that while that that means that there's less maybe security in any of those jobs, and less of a chance of having a pension that's, that's organized by one of those, or, you know, being able to glide softly into like the tenure of retirement. Um, it does mean that you're able to try on a lot of different hats. Uh, and that could be beneficial in terms of people, uh, finding a place that is fulfilling without having to seek that sort of family love that, that can never be really offered by an organization or a corporation.
0: Just a little asterisk, bud, on your comment about be careful about how much a for profit can offer you in terms of love. We have lots of people on our team who've worked on the nonprofit sector, and I would actually say you have to be just That's as true. careful, if not more mm-hmm. so, because a lot of times if you're working for a nonprofit, it is smaller, so it does have that. Uh, you know, oh come on, we're all family here. You are you're working for the cause. You're working for something
2: fighting the good fight, greater than yourself.
0: Yeah. And as a result, it's really easy to to overcommit, right, to feel like if you're if you're not working around the clock, you're letting the team down. You're not doing everything you possibly can do for the cause. So I, I would extend that. It's not just for profit. It is it's really any organization.
2: Oh, you nailed me. You're totally right. It's the dark side of purpose. And this is also how you end up with a company of burning martyrs um, who are, you know, sacrificing themselves to a cause and then making that the behavior that everyone imitates internally. You got me. Yes. Zing.
0: Last question. Dante's manager has come back from Vermont and they've realized how much money they have lost with Dante running the shop. He's basically been giving everything away. Uh, We have been brought in to consult, therefore for the quick stop grocery. What would we suggest that they do. How would we improve the customer experience as well as the employee
2: experience? I th- okay. If I'm Dante's boss, actually Dante has a lot of, like I said, he has the internal work ethic. He's very conscientious. It's just, he works for, well, you know, Nick, to what you talked about earlier, he works for a bad manager. Um, he's got potential. He got to invest in that potential. I think Randall though, he is certainly decided that he is on the outside of this. He is like a complete cynic. He's a, he's, he's unreachable. You gotta let him go. Right. You gotta let Randall go. Um, he'll, he'll write a great novel someday or, or, or something like that. And later, oh, decades later, he'll have a great YouTube channel. The great
0: American TikTok.
2: <laughs> yeah, he, might, he, yeah.
1: might, he might even write and direct some films in his, in his future days. There you go. I, you could also get, get Dante on the Aesop. Get him a, get him some sort of ownership stake in the uh, quick stop, and then he might uh, yeah. take his uh, managerial locus even higher. Yeah. And that
0: is, after all, what they do, right? They do become the managers of their respective stores over time. So there is some room for upward mobility. All right.
2: I think the the video rental store again, the benefit of hindsight, you know, start a streaming service, obviously. Uh, be, be ahead of be ahead of that. I'm not sure when was Netflix actually founded. Not that long. <laughs> Pretty soon, actually. Um, so yeah, I would get out of I would get out of that business. But you know, lottery tickets and cigarettes—that's still with us forever. It's always money in a banana stand.
0: Thanks for listening to Work of Fiction. Don't forget to subscribe for future updates and leave us a rating if you like what you heard. We're just like Bruce down at the Asai Hut, so make sure it's at least four or five stars. Five stars is a passing grade. You can find more episodes or get in touch with us at workoffiction.fm companies from
1: movies and TV, <laughs>